Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Hey guys, another episode of Yolitics here. Uh, we had set this thing up to record at a specific time, like we always do, and sure enough, uh, my co-host Jason Wheeler, I don't, I don't know what he does. I don't know if he sleeps in, or if he's at the golf course, or if he's at the tennis club, or if he's putting a new transmission in his car. I have no idea what this guy does, but he's always like five or ten minutes late. It, it makes sense because he drives like a bat out of hell if you ever have to ride with the guy, uh, but... We're going to start this in just a second here as soon as he hopefully shows up. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey, guys. Hey, look who uh, finally showed up here, man. Better late than never, Wheeler. Better late than never, man. We're already yeah. we're already going on this podcast. We we're supposed to start ten minutes ago, so we're we're hot into it here. Oh, good. Are you done with it? Because then I can just leave. Not yet, but were you rollerblading? What were you doing, man? You I probably weren't eating at a restaurant. Where were you? Juggling a bunch of balls. <laughs> well, I guess I should clear that up. Uh, getting a money piece finished finally, so that I can not have that monkey on my back tomorrow. Hopefully. So for our, our listeners right now who wonder what all Jason does, I, I don't know what all Jason does, but his regular paying job, in addition to uh, being the co-host extraordinaire of Yolitics, is also a television news anchor. So he does show up on time. Uh, to some for, things. To, <laughs> to some things. Every exactly. now and then. Do you know what this is? Do you have a beer for this one? I do. I'd had time I for, why oddly, like- I had time for that. <laughs> <laughs> I showed up late for the recording here, but oddly, I had time to get a beer. All right, man. Well, what are you drinking today? Well, uh, a quick disclaimer before I tell you, because uh, I got this, I bought this several weeks ago, and I had no desire to drink it in any way. The only reason I think I got it was because I thought it might bother you. That was what Bo- made Bother me. me. Yeah. It's, it's an IPA. <laughs> let me guess. It's an IPA. I, I thought Mrs. Wheeler probably bought it for you. You're never going to guess what this is. I probably it's won't a, go it's for a, it. It's a smoked ale. Have you ever heard of that? No. It is called a smoked ale, and it is uh, by Revolver, and it's called the Amazing Corn Dog Smoked Ale. I've had that. It's delicious. Gosh, I was trying to bother you too, and you you actually like this. It's it's not it's not bad, but the aftertaste really is like you're eating a corn dog. It's it's bizarre. Which sounds horrible. Yeah, but like dip a little mustard in it, maybe drop a little a few drops of mustard. I'm not going to do that. Uh, what are you having there? I'm having uh, El Grito. Okay, it's, um, yeah, it's a lager from Four Corners here in Dallas. Uh, Four Corners. I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the um, local buzz mm-hmm. that they produce, mm-hmm. uh, but they have a lot of great beers. But El Grito is one I've never had. It's a lager, so let's crack it open here. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I just you I got to crack yours open. Or what? I already opened it. Um, that's a weird. That does not taste like corn dog to me. I do taste smoke, though. I can taste the smokiness, the smoked ale part of it. I am not picking up on the corn dog notes yet. 
<laughs> I always like to use the word notes because that's another thing yes. that bothers you. I watched a movie, Bottle Shock, the other night. I'd seen it like 10, 12 years ago when it came out. Have you seen Bottle Shock yet? I have not. It's it's about the uh, how the California wine industry exploded um, back in the early 70s and, and really you know challenged the French wine industry and how the French were just flabbergasted to all these you know, country people from Northern California can make wine anywhere near as good as her world-class wines in France. Huh. But they had, Alan Rickman was one of the, the stars, and I'm a big Alan Rickman fan. And uh, he was talking about all the notes in there, how it rounds out with, uh, you know, tobacco and leather. <laughs> Who knows what, what leather tastes like? That, that's, that's something that I, I couldn't... Who doesn't know what leather tastes like? Well, again, you were you were late to this recording, so I don't know I don't know what's going on, man. But let, <laughs> no. let's move on. Things taste like they smell. I mean, I, come on. I presume so. Don't take me down You're... this road. Don't take me down that rabbit hole. Uh, yes, we do digress uh, because we're not talking about leather and wine and uh, and odd movies, uh, obscure movies. Uh, we are actually talking about restaurants uh, because. You know, I think that everybody's sort of gotten that cabin fever. You know, I've heard from so many people, Jason, and, and, you know, I totally understand it, who are like, can I just get this vaccine so that I can start to return to life as normal so that I can get back out again so that I can live life? And part of living life is uh, eating in restaurants. Now, some people never gave it up. I mean, you drive by some places for months now. It's been packed like it was 2019. Uh, but a lot of people did give that up because they just didn't want to be in close quarters with other people. Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, I may have been out once or twice, and it's always on a patio. Yeah, um, with I do no patios out there. I'll do yeah, patios I, even on like a fifty-two degree day, which is a, a miserable experience if they don't have heaters. <laughs> is that you wanting to go out, or Mrs. Wheeler wanting to go out? That's usually me wanting to go out, just because huh. you know I'm the cook in the family. She's not the really. Yeah, she's not the greatest cook. And so, wow, man, well, no. I hope she's not listening to this episode. Oh, no, she'll be the first to tell you that because she doesn't want to have to be saddled with that responsibility. I think deep down inside, she's probably a great cook, but she's just hidden it all these years because she doesn't want to have to do it. Um, she's genius, yeah. But I'm not the cleaner. She'll do the cleaning, and so I'm perfectly good with separating those duties. Yeah, well, it, it sounds like it. Hey, you know, before we go any farther, l- let me let me remind our listeners right now, we have a survey that we would love for you guys to click on. It's in the description of this podcast. We're, we're just trying to figure out a little bit more about who listens to us, um, you know, where you are. We, we don't need all personal information. We're just trying to figure out, you know, a little bit more demographic type, uh, who listens to us and why, things like that. So if you wouldn't mind clicking on that here, we would really appreciate it. And when we see you out, Wheeler will buy you a beer uh, <laughs> if you can take care of that for us. But let's let's talk about restaurants because we originally did this podcast one year ago. And here we yeah. are at the 1st of March. And this is the 12-month anniversary of the pandemic really officially beginning here in uh, the United States and in Texas. Mm-hmm. So one of our podcasts we did early on in the pandemic was about the Texas restaurant scene yeah. and how the Texas Restaurant Association, the industry group for all Texas restaurants, it predicted that a third of all restaurants would close mm-hmm. during the pandemic. That, that scared the hell out of me. I was like, well, that's huge, but I'm a huge restaurant guy. Well, and you think of the human impact crazy. there, too, the number of people yeah. who would lose their livelihoods in a scenario like that. And then the knockoff effects with all of their suppliers. You've got jobs being lost there as well. Uh, and I'll say that when we heard that figure, I was thinking, gosh, that 
that that can't be. And thankfully, that hasn't come to pass, but it hasn't been a whole lot better than that either. I mean, the percentage hasn't necessarily been a third, but it's something more like a fifth, which is uh, still pretty terrible if you're in an industry that has shed a fifth of its jobs in a year here in Texas. Uh, and so, you know, we wanted to get back on the line, and, and here we are doing it via Zoom this time. Uh, way back, I can remember a year ago, gosh, it's like cobwebs, uh, but we were out having a pizza together doing a podcast about what's coming, what, what, what's this pandemic thing all about. And uh, boy, what we had, a different We had a world. green beer, too. Do you remember that? We, we had a green beer because did. it was right before St. Patty's Day. Yeah, and they had to cancel St. Patty's Day, all the celebrations for that. Uh, so we got Dr. Emily Williams-Knight on the phone. She heads up the Texas Restaurant Association. Uh, and if you're not familiar with the Texas restaurant scene, it is staggering. Uh, they represent like $66 billion uh, worth of of, of, of of business here just in the state of Texas, $66 billion worth. Uh, and they account for about 1.3 million jobs in this state. That was, of course, pre-pandemic. Dr. Knight, it's good to see you again. Uh, you're about to head back to Austin because the legislature's in session, but give us an idea how things are for Texas restaurants. The last time we talked to you last year, you said something that has stuck with me the entire time, and that is that you predicted uh, kind of a worst-case scenario with the pandemic that a third of all restaurants in Texas would not be able to survive. Has that actually happened? You know, I, I think back, right, we're about to hit that March 19th when the lights went out uh, in Texas. And, um, you know, we're actually about 11,000 Texas restaurants have closed. Um, mm. If you think about that number, um, it's astonishing. We had just under 50,000 when the pandemic hit. Uh, we're adding restaurants, almost, it felt like almost weekly, daily in some cases. Um, and we've just seen, you know, closure after closure. We got a little extra relief in December with that Paycheck Protection Program, second round. Um, and then we had a storm hit that just, again, knocked us off our feet. Mm. You know, nine out of 10 of these restaurants are small businesses. They employ less than 50 people. Um, and so you think about that impact in communities across Texas. Um, and I think the hard part is we hit this one year anniversary. Uh, we're not done yet. You know, we're still seeing restaurants close if they can't make that final turn. And so it's 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 gut wrenching to look at the loss and on the job side, it coordinates to about 150,000 employees that still are not back to work in our industry. I was going to ask you about this. So so this winter storm that, that knocked some of these restaurants out, uh, you know, was a double whammy for them. Usually they would be able to absorb something like that, but it's like the margins are so thin right now. There's no cushion anymore because you've used up everything you've got and anything that comes along now is a wipeout. You're exactly right. And one thing we've learned with restaurants is a fluctuation in power is not a good thing for restaurants. Um, and so we went with no power or no water or both um, freezing temperatures. And I think what's really unfortunate about the timing of that storm is that, you know, you hit the storm. And so you also lost all that inventory. And so instead of, you know, what people would do in a business is just kind of park to the sidelines. Well, they, that's all lost now. And instead of kind of counting those losses, they stepped up and fed all our hospitals in the area all across Texas, frankly, you know, give it to first responders, et cetera. But then we don't actually see orders for another week because mm -hmm. the delivery folks couldn't get out to see us. And so you almost, you have the days of the storm, but you have actually on the front and back end of that, um, you know, our hope is business interruption insurance will come through. Not a single business interruption insurance policy has paid out on the first round of the COVID pandemic. We're hopeful this time around, but as you said, there are there's no cash in the pockets 
to be able to sustain this loss. There's no money sitting on the sideline to be able to get them through. And so it was just heartbreaking for all of us to witness this one more time for our poor industry. And let's let's explain that to our listeners a tad more there. When the power went out, that shut down refrigeration and, and, and freezers at so right. many of these restaurants. And then to, like you said, to make matters worse, not only did they lose the food in the refrigerators and freezers, but also the, the roads were impassable. So deliveries couldn't make it there. So that probably knocked them off for two weeks then, right? Two weeks. And don't forget, we had a really important holiday for restaurants in the middle of this. And so what would have been... Valentine's Day, yeah. But, I mean, Valentine's Day, everyone goes out to eat. You go out to eat. And not only did you not go out to eat, but you also couldn't get to get the food delivered to you because that evening is when things started to turn. Remember, the ice started to come in. It started to get very cold in most parts of Texas. And so you also had this moment where you should have had this massive increase in sales and they got that taken away from them too. And so I think it was just, you know, it was very hard from the association side because the calls that came in were just heartbreaking. Um, and, and, you know, I'll add one little twist to this. While all this was going on, the second round of the Paycheck Protection Program should have been paying out. But mm-hmm. that rollout has been very challenging this time around. And so you also have restaurants that are literally on the edge. They have nothing left and they're in government bureaucracy trying to get their deservingly payout, you know, this this loan that converts to a grant, that's not coming in either at the rate they should. We've got about 15, 20% that are not paying out right now. So put all that together and you can imagine a restaurant operating today, these are true just heroes, business owners that have made it through all this. So, so Dr. Knight, what is the outlook right now? We're heading into spring here. Everybody I think is, you know, getting a little bit antsy thinking, you know, maybe in these next several months we can get out, we can start doing things again. Uh, this has to be an exciting time for restaurants. There's talk of, you know, possibly uh, more restrictions being eased here, here in yeah. Texas. Is there excitement right now or is there apprehension right now? Or can you sort of typify what, what restaurant owners are, are feeling? Yeah, I think it's uncertainty of the unknown is how we sort of describe it, right? Which is every time we think we've turned a corner, whether it be last summer in that, you know, May, end of May into June, and then we got rolled back and then we had the spike again in the fall. And I think, you know, to summarize for restaurants, they've been the punching bag in the, in this nightmare. We still don't have any evidence that restaurants cause the spread of COVID. Nothing. Every study, and I won't even call it a study because it gives it too much credit, but every piece of paper that comes out that says, restaurants are dangerous, it's it, 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 the combatant right away, right? There's no evidence of that. And so so not only do you have this sort of public narrative they're dealing with that they're, they're trying to get through, you have sort of two things that are happening, which we think are the positive momentum. The first is the vaccines. You know, we are really doing a nice job in Texas of getting the vaccine out, especially in our major cities. So that vaccine rollout, let alone for our workers, which we're lobbying very hard to ensure they're in this one seed, this next category. Mm-hmm. But for you and I, right, the more we can get people vaccinated, the more they're going to go back to our restaurants. So that's number one. On the right-hand side is we had an opportunity, Governor Abbott attended our board of directors meeting last week in Austin, and we spent some time with him. And he was very clear and frankly has been clear since the start of this that he wants us back to 100% capacity and operating. And I think that is very soon. Uh, the governor's also talking about uh, potentially lifting his the mask mandate, which Jason just mentioned a moment ago there. You're going down to Austin and mm-hmm. the Texas Restaurant Association, uh, you're going to Austin because it's a legislative session going on Correct. right now. Yeah. But uh, the, the TRA, the Texas Restaurant Association, is, is a big player in Austin. What are you hoping lawmakers do for restaurants across the state? And how will the uh, the whole attention on the, the power issues, how will that affect anything that you want to get done? 
Yeah, you know, I think it's such a good question because first we were, you know, obviously thrilled the governor still attended the meeting, especially coming out of, of, of what had occurred. But I think that just reinforced to all of us, especially our members that come from every corner of Texas, right? It just reinforced his longstanding commitment that he's going to help us get through this. Um, and he also acknowledged the efforts that restaurants have played in feeding Texans, right? At the mm-hmm. most most difficult points of the pandemic. You know, we have a very clear legislative agenda this session. Um, this would not surprise you, alcohol to go. Um, alcohol to go was something that frankly we created in the office I'm sitting in. You know, at the moment the pandemic hit, we needed revenue. And we went to the governor's office and said, let us take our delivery bill that we passed last session and let's get alcohol out the door. I met with a restaurant brand from North Texas last week. It was $3 million in 2020 in alcohol to go. So this is wow. very meaningful legislation that has to pass. And right now it looks like it's on a rocket ship, right? To get through all branches and up to the uh, governor's desk. The second is liability protection. You know, we feel really strongly. Um, Senator Cornyn carried a bill for us federally that, that didn't get attached the last minute. So we've been working at the, the state level with a number of business um, organizations. So there's a coalition that has a liability protection bill. Uh, both the governor and lieutenant governor have made this an emergency priority for them. And I think what we really want to tell people is that if you're operating in good faith and you're following the guidelines, um, you should be protected. And then third, an evolution of this, right, has been delivery. Restaurants that never touched delivery are now in the delivery game. And many of them jumped in very unknowingly, and many of them got into agreements they didn't understand. They they, they were desperate, right? And I always say desperation and sort of fear drives sometimes not the best decision making. And so we've got a bill where we've actually partnered with the big delivery companies um, to bring transparency into um, into what we're doing. And then last is really around groceries. If you think about it, we became little grocery outlets. Um, our restaurants, we got a waiver from the governor and we could sell everything from you know raw steak and chicken to vegetables. And we wanna make sure if this happens again, that happens. And so we, we feel really supported. Um, I would say the last sort of Tricky part of this is we are asking for a big chunk of that CARES money. When I say big chunk, it's just under 400 million. We've been asking since the spring. If this 1.9 trillion gets passed in DC for state and local more funds to come, we will go back pretty aggressively to say, help us, right? We've not received a penny of state relief in this mess. Help us get some of these um, things done. What did the governor say about the 400 million? Is that gonna happen? Yeah, so we we talked to this office, like we actually made the request in April. And so when the wow. first CARES Act came out, we made that request. And and I think, you know, we've heard two things from the governor's office, but most importantly is we've taken this very seriously. We know you all need help. We're navigating these new CARES dollars that are going to come out. We had a conversation just in December and, and we know where you're in line, which is top of the list. And we're going to keep having those discussions. You know, I like to say, I don't care how you give us the money. You got to do something to help this industry, right? So you figure out, legislature and governor, what the best way is for you. But you can't not do anything when it comes to real, you know, stimulus relief for us um, because we're the hardest hit industry. Nobody can argue that in Texas. It has been a struggle for so many restaurants in Texas. I'm certainly not arguing against that, but I've been amazed at how creative a lot of these places have been in finding a way to push through and stay in business and you know reach out to a a wary public and you know find their way around different restrictions that keep changing have you have you seen this too and just been amazed by some of the creativity that you've seen and you've probably seen more of it than i've seen you you probably have anecdotes that i i haven't i'm not even aware of I mean, it is so humbling if you think about what they have done. I mean, you've got companies like that do hibachi 
that now you can bring the hibachi experience into your own home, right? They couldn't do that. You couldn't have 10 people around a table until just a few months ago. And so you think about every restaurant and you know what? Not that stuff isn't going to go away. The, the shift may happen, right? I think delivery will come down a little bit, but I think the idea that a consumer has decided that I want to enjoy your experience when I want it, where I want it and how I want it. And the restaurant has had to make that shift to, to meeting the consumer where they are. Um, and so we've had major, maybe 10 years of tech gains in the last year. We've had consumer behavior changes that are here to stay that we'll keep navigating. Um, but the relationship that that restaurant has with their community, I think has never been stronger because our communities have rallied around these restaurants to keep them you know, open and functioning, frankly, through the whole pandemic. Maggie, as we go into spring break here and starting March off, um, I know spring break is more of a destination type thing as opposed to restaurants. But when people go or have time off, they, they often go to restaurants. Yeah. Are, are, are restaurant owners looking forward at all to, to this month, to these you know weeks and weekends when families might be going out or individuals might be going out and spending money? Definitely. This should be a really good month for us. We know that travel outside of Texas will be reduced. And so we've seen a lot of our, um, if you think about out west, right, Big Bend area, they had about an 85% reduction in revenue um, since the pandemic hit. And those little communities live on tourism. The good news is at a place like March, when Texas all goes on spring break, you know, typically was everyone went over to Europe or Hawaii or Mexico or, you know, Florida. I think you're going to see a lot of people stay home. Those are the predictions. And that means a lot of people will be eating out. And so I think with the weather, the next two weeks looks to be very positive. I think in North Texas, we're going to get out of this rain finally. Um, but you're looking at 60s and 70s, outdoor patios open, vaccines rolling. And I think this will be, this should be a very pivotal month. But let's forget, been, not forget, it's been one year uh, this month since this happened. And so we need this breakout. But we're very confident that this spring break could be stronger than most because people will remain local. And they're relying on those staycationing Texans, basically, this time Absolutely. around. Absolutely. Especially in our resort areas, right? So I think along the coast, um, out west, downtown San Antonio, you know, we started a whole campaign to save the Riverwalk because you talk about an area that just got pummeled, but then they were landlocked, <laughs> you know, with mm -hmm. a river through them. And so you couldn't do a lot of the things we could do other places. And so all those areas trying to get tourists back and Texans back spending money, uh, we think the spring break will be positive. That's certainly the hope. Boy, whoever whoever would have thought that we would have to have a campaign to save the San Antonio right. Riverwalk. I mean, it's just stunning. I have to tell you, there's a video. I, it went viral, but I actually went down and I was so just sad. I, there's no other word for it, that I got to the San Antonio airport. There was nobody. I couldn't find food. It was just dark. And I just filmed a live stream to all the members. And I said, we can't let this happen. There's a hundred restaurants that are going to close. There's there's people bathing in the Riverwalk. There's, there's just, it was just the saddest scene. And we started a national campaign that reminded people, this is a national heritage site, essentially. You know, this is something we have to, as Texans, lean in to help. Um, and, you know, we're starting to see some return there a little bit, uh, but we need a lot more. Because remember, the conventions are not happening right now across our state. Yeah. And, and Emily, in the beginning of the conversation, you mentioned about 11,000 restaurants have closed. Is that kind of scattered across the state? Is it uh, centered in any one part of the state? It's pretty uniform across the state. I would say the area that we've seen hit pretty hard are our downtown city centers. 
Um, that's for a couple of reasons, right? One is business people are not back in those offices. And so if you were sustaining on that lunch and early dinner crowd, you've got nothing right now to run with. Um, and your audience, as you've seen the numbers of folks this, year, this last year moving out of our cities, right? So your consumer base is moving as well. Conventions have not returned. And so those sort of, you know, there's only two, two categories, sort of downtown city center and then by restaurant type. And so as once you get past that family dining up into more of a high end, that's going to take the longest to recover. And so those have been hit pretty hard as well. And then your single eatery, right? So mom and pop that owned a small business that maybe had 11 tables in it. As you think about six feet of spacing between 11 tables, you've cut your ability to serve in half. And people forget that. They think 75% capacity. That's amazing. We still have six feet between tables. So you can go to 150%. You won't get any more tables in because of the six feet. And so I think those smaller restaurants that didn't have access to capital and couldn't be creative with delivery or frankly didn't have food that could be delivered, um, those are the ones we saw close at a very rapid rate. And I think for perspective there, again, you know, when we talk about 11,000 restaurants in Texas shuttering, that's that's roughly, what, a fifth uh, of the restaurants in this state. And a lot of those will be permanent. They will be. They will be. And I think, you know, the, we always tell the positive story, too. We start to see little green shoots. And we like to say we can't, you know, the, the loss of these businesses is significant. Um, but we are seeing new restaurants open, but we're also seeing new restaurant companies moving to Texas. And so what's been interesting about this dynamic in the last quarter, really fourth quarter, we saw a number of larger brands like Dutch Brothers Coffee and 151 is expanding all over North Texas now. And so you are seeing people take advantage of if they have capital, right? Some some pretty good options on uh, on rent uh, or buying of properties and, and an audience that has pent up demand. There's a lot of pent up demand. I think it was 84% of people surveyed in Texas said they they missed restaurants more than anything else in the pandemic. Um, that that makes us very hopeful that they will return to that dining table very soon. I was talking to an accountant the other day, uh, Emily, and, and he said that he has a few uh, of his own clients that want to open restaurants. And when he was recounting the story to me, I'm thinking, are, are you crazy as hell? Why would you open a restaurant right now when you have so many of them are closing? But then on the other side, every time we go out on Friday nights, we get takeout on Friday nights, we have since the pandemic started. I, I've taken Thank your you. advice from our last podcast, you know, to, to buy um, these gift certificates that you'd never use to at least support them. But we yep. always go out and the, the little uh, neighborhood we go to uh, to pick up food every Friday night, it's always packed. Yes. The, the places are always packed and it's it's remarkable to me. So I, I, I don't know where things are. It sounds like it's bad. You sound hopeful and these places are packed. It's, it's all going to come I, together. I mean, is it? I think... Yeah, and, and I think a couple things, right? If you're starting over, if you're starting brand new, you don't have any of the legacy in your business that these restaurants had when the pandemic hit. So you can start with a smaller footprint with delivery and food that is deliverable. You can start with the type of menu, right, that people can enjoy wherever they want, on-site, off-site. You can actually yeah. have the technology investment that's required. Remember, when you have delivery, and this is, I was trying to try consumers, they get so angry about my food was late or my, you know, if you walk in my restaurant, I can see you, right? I can time those tables and my kitchen understands what's happening. When you add phone in and online to that, you now are feeding an entire stream into that same kitchen. And so mm -hmm. they've had to learn all of this. Well, if you start from scratch, you're going to start with everything you need now post-pandemic, whether it be technology mm. or food or design. And so I think there's a slight advantage in some ways, but also it's what you see now people going, hey, 
I can do this. And I think as restaurateurs, we're pretty good about forgetting the pain. Um, I think, you know, you wouldn't stay in this, whether pandemic or not. And so I think you've got some people saying, wait, I have one brand that's doing really well on this corner. Across the street, that space just opened. It's bigger. Maybe this is a time to take the chance, right? Maybe it's time to take the chance to make that move because the demand will be there. Um, you know, I, I also, we're in Texas. We have almost 30 million people. And when I was talking with the governor, um, maybe it was a month or two ago, I said, you know, I'm, I'm just so concerned. I've got to have help for these, these businesses. And his point was, Emily, we have 30 million people here now. And what's the thing they all have in common? They have to eat. Right. And so I think, you know, that's helping us, too, is that we have a good surge in population and that's going to help us, too, because they do have to eat. And we are a huge piece. We were 51 percent of your food dollar in your pocket before this happened. And so we're about 47 percent now. We need to get back up to that 50 plus percent. That's stunning. It hasn't fallen off even more than that. And again, you know, here we are in in spring, essentially now spring break right around the corner, summer right behind that. It looks like a hopeful spring and summer ahead as far as vaccine goes. Uh, let's let's hope it does. And let's hope that all of these restaurants that are still around do survive because we've got a lot of really good ones here in Texas. And on top of that, I think that a lot of us are sick of our own cooking these days, oh. too. My kids, I mean, I've got young daughters and they're like, mom, please just stop trying, right? You know, they're like, the restaurant, you love the restaurants, it's really good. And we're like you, right? We do as much takeout to go. I've been dining inside since the summer. Um, but even my own children are like, can we just go back out? And, and think about this, right? Is there gonna be any way to unify this country or unify Texas than around the dining table? It's mm. part of what we're missing right now is there's no discourse, we're not around, it's the community piece. And so if someone said to me, Emily, what do you vote on? I said, I vote on the dining table. I just mm. really believe that People want to be together and they want to be breaking bread as they did thousands of years ago. And people will return to the dining table. They may still have delivery and takeout, but you're going to grab your friends and family and you're going to go back and be in that very warm environment where you can forget about everything else. And that's what yep. only restaurants can do for you. We may need some 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 Zoom sessions, though, to retrain us on like social behaviors and habits oh. and stuff. It just feels <laughs> like it's been so long, you know. It has been. Yeah. And I think our servers can tell you that, too. Right. As they have the public now coming back out again. Um, uh, but yeah, but we'll get there. I, I definitely. And um, I, I do you can't just hopeful. leave that there. Have servers <laughs> actually said something? Yeah. I mean, I think what we've learned is, you know, people's patience is, is thin. And, and when they come out, right, the expectation, you, you've got to understand that sometimes you have a restaurant that's being run by four or five people mm -hmm. um, right now. And so trying to show grace to them as they're figuring out all this at the same time, um, not every not every person can be as, as graceful. So mm -hmm. we try to encourage that. And believe it or not, as the Restaurant Association, we get a lot of consumer calls. Um, some we keep because they're hilarious and some we uh, just try to Put, put them in the right direction, right? And remind them that not getting their ketchup in the bag probably isn't the, the worst thing hey, that happened to them today. Emily, our, our next episode has to be some of these recordings. So I want you oh to, to, to get some of these together. <laughs> You people know, complain days, about the ketchup. Come on, I mean, oh, we, we have had we have people that call us about that. What are you going to do about it? And it's like, well, not, not nothing today, ma'am. Nothing. <laughs> We're going to save this and laugh a lot. Yeah, <laughs> Emily, be, I, I be always kind appreciate to your you. server, folks, and tip them yeah. well. I, I like your optimism and, and uh, I, I wish the best for the restaurants. I've, I've taken your advice before. I'll, I'll, I'll keep doing it in the future. Um, so uh, thanks. Thanks for the time. And thanks for what, uh, what you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so some so, some food for thought in there, you know, and you you think about you know food, well, how food for thought, nice man. That Very was not nice. intended. 
That was not that well is, played though. Well that played. is the corn dog smoked ale speaking there, which I have, <laughs> by the way, now transitioned over to water. Um, Already, I, it's it's nothing again. I mean, I'm sure that this is really good for someone. Uh, I just it's not my it's not my jam for someone. <laughs> it's not my jam, as they say, and I'm not tasting corn dog in there, and I kind of wanted to. Uh, so, but I digress again. Uh, no, I mean, there's there's a lot to, you know, take in right there. And I think that, you know, a lot of us want to see, you know, some of our favorite haunts actually survive all of this. And, you know, the weird thing is, Jason, uh, you know, we were talking with her offline and she said that a lot of the ones that have gone by the wayside, uh, they, they've done studies on this. A lot of these restaurants that have failed during the pandemic were the older restaurants, maybe the ones where, you know, you took the kids for the early birthdays and you spent some special occasions there over the years because they had been around forever. Maybe you even knew the people inside. And those are the ones who seem to have uh, taken the worst of it. So, you know, kind of a sad, sad loss there for, you know, a lot of communities. It is a sad loss. And the statistic of what she said, 11,000 restaurants in Texas permanently closed in the last 11 and a half months. It's 1,000 restaurants a month mm-hmm. in this state. That That is a staggering figure uh, when, when you think about it. If you just break it up statewide, that's, you know, it's, it's probably 100 and 150, 200 plus in each metropolitan area, mm. not to mention how many in the uh, rural areas. It's it's and each one of those, as you said earlier, is tied to jobs, tied mm-hmm. to livelihoods, tied to you know people trying to put food on the table. These are real people just trying to make their bills, just like you and me. Uh, and you know, I, I think though that it, it is great to tell that other side of the story too about those green shoots that are starting to emerge here. How we're seeing some restaurants actually starting up in this environment, and we've seen a lot of restaurants kind of diversify and figure some things out and sell some groceries from their restaurant and uh, deliver and, and sell some out alcohol from the restaurant to go. Uh, and, and so there is a lot of innovation that's happening and some of that's going to stick with us. And I think, you know, some of us may have changed our behaviors uh, out of this and that may last for a while. I might be a patio guy here for a little while. I like being outside anyway. Yeah. Necessity is mother of invention. I think that stuff's here to stay. The the groceries, if that's allowed by the legislature, the mm-hmm. um, uh, alcohol to go. I mean, everyone said they're for alcohol to go. That's going to pass. There's yeah. almost no question on that. But all these other things are, are likely going to be permanent changes that have happened simply because of the pandemic. Yeah. Can you but, imagine lawmakers taking away the alcohol to go? It's hard to take something like that back and put that toothpaste back in the tube again once you right. let people have that. And you know what struck me is that I I, th- I think which is fine because I haven't done it yet but I'm going I'm probably will at some point but these the, the top lawmakers who have been all for this they had to have been ordering alcohol to go as they're probably stressing out over how to handle it right. but the fact that they say that they're going to support it on the first day of the legislature in January. Yeah. That that tells you who's uh, who's consuming this. It's not just you and I. It, it's people at the top levels of at least state government as well. But before we let you guys go, quick reminder about the survey. We mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, click on the survey in the description of this podcast right here. We, we'd love to hear a little bit more about you, why you listen to Yolitics, what else you listen to. In addition to Yolitics, if you have an entire playlist of podcasts, we'd love to hear that. So please click on that podcast. Yeah, I hate long surveys and I never fill them out, but this one's really short and easy. So uh, it's only I, like ninety questions. It, it's, yeah. it's pretty quick. It shouldn't take you. <laughs> but it's you a know, time. You probably fill it out in the time we're waiting on Wheeler to show up for the podcast. Yeah, so that's that's probably true. Actually, it's a timed test though. So you know, a few minutes on that, and uh, we'll be good to go. And we just like to know a little bit about you without really knowing you. 
Uh, so uh, that does it for this week, though. We will be back next week where well, I think we've already got spring break on the mind here. So uh, maybe we'll have to explore something in that realm because I'm already kind of leaning that way. 